It's good to be here, church. It's good to, to be able to minister our next installment or the next message in our series. We're, do, we're taking an in-depth look. We're doing an expositional look at the gospel of what? Who? John. That's right. John is not a what, he's a who. <laughs> we're in the gospel of John. That's where we are. And if you're new to our fellowship, um, I always feel it's important to, to say this, especially if you're online. We've been in the gospel of John now for the past several weeks, and we're going to be in the gospel of John for several more weeks to come. And anytime we're in the gospel, it's a good thing, right? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I agree. So this week we find ourselves in about the middle of chapter 6. We're in the middle of, about the middle of chapter 6 of the gospel of John, and I want to kick today's message off with a statement. And when I say this statement, it's probably a statement that you've heard before, and if you've heard it, I'm sure you know what it means. So the statement is this. You are what you eat. Anybody ever hear that statement before? <laughs> Anybody ever get angered by it? Oh, yeah? yeah? <laughs> I can say I have as well. And, and for me, being a person who's been in the fitness and bodybuilding industry for the past 25 years, it's hard to believe it's been a quarter of a century that I've been moving weight around. doesn't even make sense, but that's what I like to do. Um, I can say that that's a line that's truly frustrated me. The first mention of this phrase goes all the way back to the early 1800s in a French author. The French author's name was Anthelme Brillat Savarin. And I'm sure you can uh, get an idea of, of where this, this author was from. He wrote a book in 1826, and the book was called Physiology de Goût aux Méditations de Gastronomie Transcendante. So in saying that, you probably have an idea of the language he spoke. Now, I'm not French at all. Mitchell, anyone's probably going to get the idea. I may have just butchered that. <laughs> but in translating it, what it says is, the physiology of taste or meditations on transcendental gastronomy. Whew, that's a must read. Uh, but <laughs> a must read for sure. <laughs> but in this 1826 book, he wrote this. Tell me what you eat and I'll tell you what you are. It's an idea or a reality that the entire structure, function, the wholeness of every cell in our body, every little cell, from our skin to our hair, our muscles, our bones, our digestive system, our immune system, that it all can be defined in the food we eat. And it makes sense. Because if the nutrients that we're putting in our body are good, we should expect to feel better. If the nutrients that we put in our body are good, we should expect to be able to do the things that we want to do and maybe even live a little bit longer. With my experience in weightlifting and fitness and sports, I know this is true. And if you were to ask anyone who trains in bodybuilding or is a trainer, if that trainer is worth their salt, they're going to tell you it's all about the 80-20 rule. It's an 80-20 rule. And what I mean by that or what they would mean by that is it's 80% diet and it's 20% training. Because they know that they can't or they won't achieve their goals if their diet or the food that they're consuming isn't right, if it's off. Because if it's off and it's not good, they're not even going to have the energy to train. And I know this is true. At the, I'll tell you, the workouts I have on a Friday are way different than the workouts I have on a Monday. Because weekend food eating looks way different than weekly food eating for me. So I know this is true. And when it comes to what you're doing and what you're thinking and how you're feeling, it comes down to consumption a lot of times. And it's this thought or this word or term of consumption that's at the heart of the message 
that we're going to hear this morning. So as I stated earlier, we're in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 6, and we're in the middle of the chapter, about the middle of it. And we're going to be going through a long section of Scripture. Our verses for today are going to be verses 22 through 59. And the heading of these verses is this, I am the bread of life. Now, normally, if you've heard me preach before, I would read our section of Scripture, and then we'd get into the exposition of it, and we'd break it down. But with such a long section of Scripture, it's going to be important for us to take it in sections. It's going to be important for us to to look at what each section has to say and consume it from there. So with that said, our first section that we're going to be looking at today is verses 22 through 24. And they read like this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, this miracle that he performed. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So our section today starts off with the gospel doing what it always does. It's always on the move. The gospel's always on the move, and Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee where he performed this miracle. Or as it was known then, it was called the Sea of Tiberias. He had just performed two great miracles. The first miracle a large crowd of people benefited from. And then the second miracle that Jesus performed was to the benefit of the apostles. The crowd didn't get to see it. And this is the miracle that Braden had preached about last week in Jesus walking on the water. The crowd wasn't aware of this miracle. But the crowd when they, but but the crowd themselves, they had been with Jesus and his disciples. And when when they had gotten up, when 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 they got up for the day and they started to get around, there are a few things that they realized. The first thing was that There had been only one boat that was on the shore when when Jesus and the apostles were there. And the disciples had gotten on that boat. Jesus never got on that boat. So the second thing that they realized is that Jesus wasn't with them. They knew he wasn't with his disciples, but they knew he, he wasn't with them. He didn't get on that boat. I mean, they get up, they're looking around, and it's pretty apparent quickly that Jesus is nowhere to be found. And I can just imagine what they might have been thinking. I'm sure they were thinking something like, well, we know the, the, uh, the disciples and the apostles, they left on that boat. Where did Jesus go and how did he get there? They want to find Jesus. And they know that the best or most likely opportunity that they have to find Jesus is to find the disciples. Because they're either going to know where Jesus is or Jesus is going to be with them. So what do they do? Boats arrive on shore and they get on the boats. They're now on this mission like like um, Darlene had said earlier, now they're on their own mission. Their mission is to find Jesus, and they get on these boats, and they're ferried across to the area of Capernaum again. It's an area that we've talked about before. This is where they're going. Their mission is to find Jesus, and it won't be long before they find him, and it won't be long before we find out why they're looking for him. So this, this brings in our second section of Scripture that we're going to look at today. It's John chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, And it reads like this. It's a longer section. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seat, his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread. So in reading this section of scripture, I can just feel my emotions stir. I get a little fired up. I mean, the, the crowd's mission is accomplished here. They, they're successful in finding Jesus, but when they find him, it kind of plays out like an act of comedy at first. I mean, they're surprised to see him. It's as if they bumped into him by happenstance or chance. Jesus knows why they're there, but it's like, oh, Jesus, how did you get here? Kind of like the surprise that we get when we run into someone we're not expecting to see at the mall. Jesus being God and omniscient, he sees through this because they witnessed a great miracle the day before and they even professed who just might be in their presence when he performed it. But now they're thinking with their stomachs and I get it. Hunger is cyclical. It's going to come around again. But in this case, hunger isn't the issue and Jesus knows it and he calls them out on it because he knows their motivation. And I want to stop here for a minute, church, because this is one of those moments in scriptures where it's like, you really need to reflect. If we were there, would we have done anything different? Would we have behaved any differently? I'm pretty confident I wouldn't have. But this crowd, <laughs> they're coming off the greatest glamping trip they've ever been on. <laughs> they're just coming off the glamping trip of a lifetime, and they don't want it to end. And for, if you're here and you're wondering, what the heck does this term glamping mean? What did Jesus or these people just do? When I heard it, it cracked me up. I heard it last week. My wife, said, my wife says I've heard it before, but I don't remember. And when I heard it last week when Wendy talked about it, because they like to glamp, I just about fell off my rocker. I was, it just cracked me right up. And, and what it actually means is it's, it's defined as glamorous camping. Now, who doesn't want to do glamorous camping? But that's how it's defined when all your needs are met and the entertainment's included. I mean, this is just the truth of what it's like. And, and I know my wife, when we go camping, that's the kind of style we roll with. <laughs> it's good. And this is what, they're, this is what they, they've just experienced. But he knows, that they're, and he knows that they're there for food, and he knows they're there for food the easy way. And what Jesus is seeking to do in this scripture is realign their focus. But as we're going to get into the next sections, we're going to see real quick that they don't want anything to do with that. They're forgetting what they themselves had witnessed and what they had heard, and they have the guts to ask Jesus for more. What are you going to do now, Jesus? What are you going to do now? And they go so far as to use scripture to justify their asks. They go Old Testament on Jesus. They remind him of the manna that God had provided his people, Israel, which we find in Exodus chapter 16. 
You see, they have this prosperity gospel mindset, but it's so often seen with the prosperity gospel, their interpretation of scripture and their application is often not correct. In the time of Exodus, God was calling out his own people, and in that calling, they spent a significant amount of time in the wilderness, decades. They were stranded in the wilderness with God for decades. And for those who spend any amount of time in the wilderness, if you're a survivalist or you like watching any of that stuff, you know real quick there's one thing that isn't prevalent. It's food. Food is not in supply when you're stranded in the wilderness. Israel wasn't on a glamping trip. It was a survival mission. The manna that God was providing was made into bread for the Israelites so that they would be sustained in their time in the wilderness and in the desert, but it was also for that they, so that they would know who it was that was with them and providing for them. It wasn't about the manna. It was about God's presence in the wilderness. And for us, it's God's revelation to the, to the people and to the crowds that God is still ministering to his people and providing for his people. But the crowd with Jesus, they're completely ignorant about this fact. For them, it's all about, what have you done for me lately, Jesus? I don't want to remember what you did yesterday. I want to talk about what we're going to see today. And in their prosperity mindset, they can only focus on the temporal, that food that doesn't last. And like food, once you eat some, you're going to be hungry again. There's a prosperity preacher who's famous for saying they're looking for their best life now. And it has me reflecting on a warning that we read about when we read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Like the fitness person, they have to be very careful. They have to pay the most careful attention to detail to the, what it is that they consume or they're going to drift away. And for the believer, it's very different. We have to be very careful and cognizant of what it is that we're consuming because if we consume the wrong thing, we're going to drift off, we're going to become unhealthy, and it's not going to be safe for us. In Christ, we are safe. Jesus reminds them of the scripture's meaning and its application, and he seeks to bring the focus back to what the people professed when they were fed on mass, they were professing, is this God? And Jesus is bringing them back to that moment, and it's yes. It's a focus not so much on the works done as much as it is who's doing the work. He speaks of another new food staple. It's a food staple that's supplied by God in Christ, but it's of far better value. It has an eternal value. It's a new bread product on the food chart that they want, and they're almost willing to change their job descriptions to get it. What must we do? What kind of work do we need to be doing to get it? They're willing to consider this. But it gets complicated for them when Jesus breaks it down in our next section of Scripture when we look at how the bread is packaged. Enter John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said, I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So in this section of scripture, church, I'm taken back to my, my pre-teen, teen years, in the years that I spent as a scout. Maybe some of you guys were in scouts, but when I'm taken back to that time, I'm, all, I'm reminded of the scout motto. It's a two-word motto, and is there anyone in here who remembers or knows what that motto is? Be prepared. Be prepared. Very simple. Be prepared. It's about being prepared should you find yourself stranded in the wilderness and a big part of that preparation is the food and the water you're going to need to survive. And thankfully, with the years that I spent in Scouts, we were led by a godly man who did a wonderful job in helping us understand the preparation that we would need and the survival skill that we would need to have to make it. But this crowd, they're not listening. They're rejecting the truth. And it's fascinating to me that the crowd uses Exodus 16 as their justification for Jesus to be doing more. I mean, the people don't realize that the Israelites were stranded in the wilderness, and this crowd doesn't realize that they're still there. They're still stranded in the wilderness. We're stranded in the wilderness. That's where we are, church. I mean, all you need to do is turn the TV on and look at what's going on, and it's going to feel like wilderness. I know when I look at the TV, that's how I feel. We're still in it. This place isn't our home. It's not a glamping trip. I think about people who like to, who buy, especially later on in life, they buy and they're, they're, they sell their home and they're looking for a new home. And what they're looking for is this forever home. We're shopping for our forever home. It's not found here. Our forever home is found in Christ. We're in the wilderness church. It's a spiritual wilderness of eternal consequence. And diet is key to our survival. Jesus stated that he was the bread of life, and he's proved it. He's proved it. And like the best survivalist health professional ever, his mission is that none that are his are lost. Nobody. Nothing. That's his mission. His mission is to lose none of those who put their trust in his plan to keep them alive. That's where my trust is. Jesus is survival food, church. He's survival food. And in him, the believer is sustained eternally. It's not about being fed and then getting hungry, being fed and getting hungry, this cyclical life that we live. Jesus' food and drink is eternal, and it sustains us eternally. But like we see a lot with a lot of diets, there's a lot of diets out there. A lot of people resist them. They either don't work or they do work, but for some, they try it. You know, they're willing to try it, but they don't, they're not able to keep up with it. A lot of people are so used to consuming the things that they consume, it's hard for them to change their diet. And then there's other people who don't want to change it at all. They know the, health, the, the, the state of their current health 
lifestyle versus the state of the health lifestyle they need to have and they don't want to change at all. In, 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 in the message in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's that way as well. We know the, the eternal state of our, of, our, of our life without God versus the eternal state with God. And there are people who reject it. They don't want change. There are people who will, who will try it for a little bit, who want to experience it a little bit, but they drift back. And for us, we know that we need to sustain it for its longevity. We need to consume this diet every day if we're going to stay healthy and we're going to stay eternal. But that being said, like I've said with a lot of diets, there's, there's resistance to it. And when we get into this last section of scripture, it's a long section of scripture that we're going to look at. We're going to see this. We're going to see this in the people that God's talking to. John chapter 6 verses 41 through 59 reads, So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He never stops saying this. Your father ate the manna in, heaven, the, manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the in the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" So Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the, fa the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So the people are doing what we do with our food. A lot of times we like to pick at our food. We want to know where it comes from. We want to know what it's made of. They're not interested in scripture now. There's no recall. There's no recollection of prophecies and scriptures fulfilled. There's no thoughts on their part of the prophets in the prophecies that they told the fathers. Prophecies that as we've learned so far in our series and we will continue to learn were fulfilled in Jesus starting with his birth all the way up to those who, all, all, those, all those prophecies that were fulfilled in their midst to this point. 
He has to boldly remind them, and he does it. He's unafraid and he's unashamed. If they want to hang on to the diet that they're, they're feeding on, this Old Testament diet of laws and memories of what God did for them in the past, they're going to miss the promise that's revealed in Jesus. For a person to resist God today, to try the diet and then walk away, you're missing out on the promise of life that's found in Jesus. He's proclaiming what we hear in John chapter 14, verse 6. Don't mean to get ahead. It's a ways off, but it's important and practical for this message. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we're talking about survival guides, this is the survival guide if there ever was one. But is it enough for the people to stop and think? It's not at all, church. By the time they get to the end of it, they're not even arguing with Jesus. They're arguing with each other. They're arguing amongst themselves. And I firmly believe it's because they're stuck in this Old Testament train of thought. And I want you to hear me, church. I really want you to understand this. I'm not speaking against the Old Testament. I am not preaching against the Old Testament. Not at all. The Old Testament is the largest portion of our Bible. It's the living word of God. The New Testament is the living word of God, and the Old Testament is the living word of God. It's crucial, but it's crucial only if it's in understood, only if it's studied and applied according to its purpose as it was ministered and revealed. We need to understand this. The Apostle Paul knew this. He said, I would not have known what sin was were it not for the law of God. He's telling the people of the importance and the practicality of the Old Testament so that he could understand where he's going wrong with God. He's using the Old Testament to strengthen his faith in Christ as we hear and see lived in the New Testament. He knows He knows that the Old Testament was speaking of the revelation of the new way that we were going to be be saved and that we are saved. The new way that we are to survive until we are called home to be with God. And that way is in Jesus. The Old Testament is just as much about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, just like the New Testament is. It's the whole Bible. It's the whole of God's word that is vital for our survival. In referring back to the last section of our text that we talked about, Old Testament, in thinking about Old Testament and being practical with Old Testament in light of what Jesus is saying, we know that Old Testament law prohibited God's people from drinking blood. One of the things that he said in, that is said in the law is that you shall not drink the blood of an animal and you shall not eat the flesh of an animal that still has the blood in it. And why, church? Because if you were to consume the blood of an animal, you would be consuming the life of the animal. Because it was believed that in the blood of an animal was the animal's life. And here Jesus is now encouraging them to take his flesh and to drink his blood. And it bothers me. They're being encouraged to take his flesh and his blood. And they don't know at this point how it's going to be served or when it'll be served, but they're going to find out, and they should have known. But in this entire conversation, like I said, there's one thing that stands out, and it bothers me. 
in their disputing with Jesus in the beginning and then in their disputing with each other, no one stops to take a minute and ask the important questions. Why? How is this so? I mean, how many of you in trying to understand something and, 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 and apply it to your life, ask those questions. Why is this so? How is it supposed to be this way? Or how did it get to this way? They're not asking those questions of why Jesus is the only way. And they're not asking how is it that Jesus is making it possible. Jesus knows that they're only pursuing a temporary fix. And they should be pursuing him, the savior of the world. We should be pursuing Jesus. They're short-sighted. And we see this short-sighted, this, this nearsighted vision when Jesus talks again in one of the other gospels to the religious leaders. This is a problem that people have, and it's a problem that we have today. We often don't have that long view, and it hampers our ability to live in the faith that God calls us to live in. And Jesus speaks to the, to the religious leaders of his day in Matthew chapter 23 on this point, verses 16 through 19, when he says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools! Which is greater, the gold of the temple that, the gold or the temple that makes it sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? This crowd, like so many, they get so focused on what Jesus does and what he can do that they lose sight. And sometimes we lose sight on who Jesus is. We get focused on the gifts and the work that sometimes we lose focus on the gift giver, which is the most important. He is the most important because he's the provider. He's the enabler. The gifts don't come without the focus in the devotion and the dedication, the relationship and the fellowship with the giver. It's the giver who is the priority. It's Jesus who is priority. And when he is prioritized, we as believers are able to worship the way God calls us to worship in spirit and truth. We're able to minister the gifts of God the way God calls us to. In spirit and truth, we truly minister them and truly appropriate them. This is the issue. And if the crowd would have considered, and if you're here today or you're listening online, I would implore you to consider if you have not received this survival food and this offer of grace that God gives us. I implore you to take a minute and hear and reflect on the truth that has been spoken by Jesus himself in our word today. The eternal implications are real for those who accept and for those who reject Jesus. You can expect if what you consume is not healthy that you will not live. You will not have a healthy life and you will not live. But if you consume that which is truly healthy, that which is eternal, you will live eternally. There is no other way. We can't save ourselves, church. And Jesus is ministering this to those people. They will not live eternally if they continue to eat the food that they're living if they don't consider their diet in this new way that Jesus is calling them to. 
Our sin has separated us from God, and we can't make it right. It's Jesus who makes it right. And I'm so thankful that it is Jesus' way. I mean, one of the things that the Old Testament teaches us, if it teaches us anything, is when we try to do it, we mess it up. Jesus is here. Jesus is present because of that need. We can't do it ourselves. It's only in Christ that we are enabled and can have true life and that we can survive. It just breaks my heart that it comes at the cost of Jesus' own flesh and blood. Um, man, I'm coming to the end of this message and there's just so much I want to say. I mean, every section of the scripture that we've covered, we could break it down in its own individual sermon because it's so vital. In going through and in preparing this, I totally understood what it was like for Paul when it says in the book of Acts that, that Paul would speak on and on for hours because it was so vital. He didn't want anyone to miss anything. I just don't want anyone to fall asleep and fall out a window. <laughs> if there's anyone here named Eutychus, stay with me. <laughs> but in saying that, church, it is true. This is vital. This is survival food found only in Jesus. And as I close this message out today, and as the band comes forward to lead us in our worship, and as we start to mentally and spiritually prepare for communion that we're going to take, I want to acknowledge that for some, this message may be hard to hear. If you're new to our fellowship or you're new online, you may be hearing this and think, vampires are real? No, they're not. Not at all. It's the promise that is found in Jesus' flesh and blood that sustains us. But like the people who heard this message when they were present with Jesus, it was hard for them to hear. And I know for some it'll be hard for, hear, for, for you to hear today. I know that there are many who abandoned Jesus after he gave this message. It was too much for them. And tragically, they went on their way and survived the, or they're, they're experiencing the effects of the diet that they kept on consuming. But as we know with the gospel, the gospel is not here to make us comfortable. The gospel is not a glamping trip. It's not for our benefit or comfort here. It serves a greater purpose. Jesus said in the gospel of Matthew, do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. To believe in the gospel, to speak the gospel, and to live the gospel is going to create conflict. It's going to divide people. In a world where Satan encourages everyone, as much as I believe in Jesus and angels and miracles and the things that God does, there is another realm, there are other players in that realm, evil Satan and demonic forces that want to take your focus off Jesus and separate you from him. And they create the conflict that we see in the world today. Would you agree that there is conflict, church? Absolutely. So coming back to the meaning of our message today, Jesus is giving us an introduction to the communion that we as believers partake in. The holy communion with the holy sacraments. It's a new diet. It's the survival food that clears the blocks in our spiritual heart, the arteries of our spiritual heart, so that we can experience life to its fullest, life to the eternal, fellowship and worship to the eternal. So if you're looking for that change, if you're looking to change what you've been consuming, what the world's been forcing you to take in, I would encourage you to talk to me or to talk to the leaders after church this morning to give us a chance to 
to walk with you into this relationship, to help support you and to shepherd you in this relationship with Christ and in this new diet. Anyone who goes to a new diet, you know you need support. You know you need your encouragers. And as a body, as as a fellowship, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we are here to encourage you. And as leaders in the church and as Pastor Braden leads us, we are called to know the condition of our flock, whether you're spiritually healthy or spiritually unhealthy. And we are going to minister the gospel in spirit and truth at all times to ensure that you are as healthy as you can possibly be. And that health is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.